Welcome to the Hatch and Curiosity podcast, where homeschooling families cultivate innovation through curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking. I'm your host, Christina Hatch. You're listening to episode 15, Geography for the 21st Century. I am so excited to talk to you today because I am very passionate about this topic. When most of us think of geography, we conjure up memories of memorizing states and capitals with a catchy song or writing the names of Africa on a worksheet. It's one of those subjects that bring just a twinge of guilt to us homeschooling moms as we think about it. Because with all the great literature, math, writing, grammar, arts, humanities, science, and history, it can easily be overlooked. Furthermore, when we need to know where something is, we can easily pull it up on Google Maps, Google Earth, or just ask our Alexa, which makes it seem slightly less relevant than it was in the days when we had to memorize everything to have access to the information. My current events teacher in high school knew better, though. While we talked about the conflict in the Middle East, she was shocked to learn that not one of us knew the difference between Iraq and Iran. She immediately canceled the current events class and told us that we were now enrolled in geography because she wasn't about to send out a bunch of outgoing seniors into the world to vote and function as adults without a basic understanding of geography. She had us map our neighborhoods, memorize the states and capitals, memorize all the countries of the world, and bless her heart, quickly recapped key points of history for each area. The funny thing is, I remember and use the information from this class more than I did from all my other history classes because it had context. I could see the need to know the names and places as I read newspaper articles. The tumultuous history of the Middle East now made a little bit more sense to me, and I can't tell you how many times a week I find knowing the major cities in the United States helpful. Tying geography beyond the map created clarity, not only for the map, but for the places it referenced as well. Geography must be taught broadly, as well as minutely, for it to be truly taught. We need to know the names of places, but we also need to tie it to people, animals, landmarks, and other fascinating details to take it from just a list of GDPs to a vibrant and complex picture with layered meanings. This is why I'm going to start by defining my terms. Geography is the study of Earth and its people. More specifically, landforms, biomes, and the way that people interact with the Earth's resources. Geography is more than chartography. It is a science, a history, and a social study. Knowing geography can help you with your math skills, add context to history and current events, lay foundations in biology, geology, ecology, physics, and other sciences. Most importantly, though, it inherently helps you make connections between the disciplines and between cultures. This year, as we studied Asia in our co-op, we discussed the people of Mongolia. Living in a farming community, the horsemen really made an impression on the many young cowboys in the class, as they compared Mongolia's steep biome to the grasslands of Montana, how they're both called Big Sky Country. We compared traditional Mongolian yurts to the teepees of the Blackfoot Indians. One by one, I saw light bulbs go off above the kids' heads around the room. Suddenly, the Mongolians were the most fascinating people in the world to them because they were so much like them in many ways and yet so different in others. The kids could see how similar environments shape people in similar ways, but how culture is different in different parts of the world. In this lesson, I felt like they were really getting the heart of what geography is about. One of the key values of hatching curiosity is innovation. Innovation occurs when the lines get blurred, when you start making new connections and come up with new ideas. In public schools, especially the later grades, we have 45-minute class periods where we study one subject, close the books, then go on to the next subject. 
This does not breed creativity or connection. Keeping the disciplines isolated will not cultivate innovation. Given the breadth of the definition of geography, it gives you a lot of room to play with and between subjects to make fascinating and important connections, like the one I mentioned in episode two with the diatoms. Now, this connection could probably have been made solely in a science class with time, but tying it to geography helps raise other questions, like how is life sustained in Antarctica? Or how would the Amazon be different without the Sahara? Or what microorganisms might affect the savanna? When I create a geography unit, there's map work because creating maps is amazing for spatial awareness, hand-mind connection, and memorizing locations. It is life for visual learners, but also stretches auditory learners to learn how to see data. It gives kinesthetic learners something to do with their hands and covers what is traditionally boxed as geography. I don't start with political geography though. When my kids are young, I start with local geography. One of the concepts Charlotte Mason recommends doing when introducing geography to young children is to go on a geog walk, where you go along and point out smaller features like ditches, streams, fields, and hills. These lay the groundwork for later explaining features like canyons, mountains, plains, and rivers. The more nature study you do, the more familiar kids are with the world and how it works. They discover the concepts of dams and irrigation ditches very naturally when you let them play it by a creek for an afternoon. They notice that there are more plants near water or moist forest than there are in dry fields. Nature study is as foundational for geography as it is for science. When I'm ready to start introducing more concrete geography concepts, we talk about land and water forms, parts of a biome, biomes of the earth, and start focusing our nature study on ecosystems and connections, cause and effect. We learn our place in the universe and often pause to do an astronomy unit and study the planets. Then we learn the names of the continents and oceans through song. We discuss how the sun affects the planet and the difference between the map and globe. We learn the layers of the earth and how the water cycle works. I have them draw a picture of their home and then maybe a map of their room or neighborhood to further introduce the concepts of maps. Finally, I start as Montessori suggests with a continent study. I do this in a very Montessori way, focusing on the big picture then the biomes and cultures before going on to the political maps. Charlotte Mason encourages you to start with a continent you live on and then work your way out to your closest neighbors, both in geography and in the study of history and language. But you can really start anywhere. I started with the continent that my son was most fascinated by, which ironically was the one that I had the least amount of interest in. A funny thing happened as I studied Antarctica, though. I kind of fell in love with it. The ocean ecosystem fascinated me. The heroic tale of Ernest Shackleton is forever embedded in our hearts of what it means to endure and lead, survive and overcome. The Antarctic Treaty is a testament to mankind and the science being conducted there is what STEM dreams are made of. And the fact that it was once a lush jungle, get out of town. We had so much fun learning about what happens in sub-zero temperatures, which animals adapt in winter, how Robert F. Scott found fossils that changed the world, and the race to the poles, that it was just hard to move on to the next place. In each continent study, I create a survey of the biomes of the continent, find key landmarks, select fascinating animals, important plants, and touch on how indigenous people interacted with the land, and what we can learn from explorers and scientists who work there. The purpose of the unit is to introduce the beauty of the natural world to make connections with history, science, and people. 
Every unit, I focus on a specific biome and learn as many ecological or geographical principles as we can from that biome. Each unit also has an animal report that highlights different features or interactions of the animal kingdom. I try to find a living book that can be read aloud that will bring the story of someone who lived there to a personal level. Charlotte Mason said, But let him be at home in a single region. Let him see with the mind's eye the people at their work and at their play, the flowers and fruits in their seasons, the beast each in its habitat, and let him see all sympathetically, that is, let them follow the adventures of a traveler. And he knows more, is better furnished with ideas, than if he had learnt the names on all the maps. Oftentimes, themes will emerge between people, like the theme of symbolism in Africa, discovery in the Antarctic, preservation in Oceania, and tradition in Asia. I can't help but talk about deforestation in the Amazon, desertification in the Sahara, or the acidification of coral reefs in Oceania. Because as you fall in love with the Great Barrier Reef, it is heartbreaking to learn how much of it has disappeared in the last 20 years. Each unit is complex and layered with subjects and ideas intersecting in surprising ways. I do this on purpose to spark interest and make impressions that they can build on with future learning. You will be surprised at the depth of your children's thought and compassion as you discuss current issues. After you have a good foundation of the natural world and how we interact with it, you go round two, mapping political geography. Doing in-depth country reports, guessing at what cultures are like based on surrounding countries, their geography, and what you know of the indigenous people of the area. You continue to do map work as you go through history so that they can build on that foundation. Using an atlas as often as you use a dictionary. And when you can, if you're lucky enough to be able to afford it, travel. Live out that geography because nothing is as incredible as experiencing different places and cultures for yourself. When I was 14, my grandparents took me with them to Mexico. I had never been outside the country before, and I was fascinated. I mean, completely enthralled. With the people, the humidity, the food, the streets, the terrifying airport where they searched my suitcase and then yelled at me in Spanish. The perspectives of a young girl are much different than I would have now as an adult, but I can still smell the flowers, hear the 16th century bell tower, and feel the weight of the tile I watched someone make for me in a village we visited. I still remember the absolute poverty that we saw on the way that I had never seen before and the music that poured into my hotel from the streets. My mind was racing and still filled with rich memories enriched by my senses 20 years later. Teaching geography like this in a living way is a way that Charlotte Mason advocates. She encourages us to use living books, do map work, and move beyond imports, capitals, and currency to really see the people that have shaped this world. She defines the value of geography as, Geography is, to my mind, the subject of high educational value, though, not because it affords the means of scientific thinking. The peculiar value of geography lies in its fitness to nourish the mind with ideas and to furnish the imagination with pictures. Herein lies the educational value of geography. Some people have criticized Montessori methods studying indigenous people as pegging them into a hole of their past and that it can create or reinforce racist stereotypes. To gloss over thousands of years of culture, make an origami swan and move on to the next thing, only to study European history for years, is disrespectful to Asian culture. To some extent, I can definitely see the danger in that. 
If the only impressions that kids have of Japan is cherry blossoms and geisha girls, that gives them a very minimal impression to the depth of Chinese people. If Africans are always depicted as mostly naked living in a hut, it undercuts the beauty and complexity of their societies and discounts the last several hundred years of African history that led to the modern cities of today. I think that introducing kids to the way that people once interacted with the land is very important because it shows the dependence we have on the earth for our sustenance and how culture is connected to geography and evolved from it. I also think that making an origami swan will create a fun and fascinating memory that can lead to curiosity down the road. Introducing people who dress, speak, and think differently than you can breed empathy. As long as you are careful to introduce people with admiration and respect, explain how they have evolved today, and come back to see these continents as you study world history, giving their history equal footing, I think you're on the right track. Once you have a solid foundation of geography, you have an understanding of how our planet and its people are interconnected. We start a global community. Geography is just plain fun to study because this world is a beautiful and fascinating place. The fact that you get to sneak in the benefits of learning how to read visual data, make interdisciplinary connections, and set the stage for history makes it irresistible to an educator. Be forewarned, though, that it may create an irresistible wonderlust in your children. One of my favorite homeschool memories was of my young children gearing up to go to Antarctica. In their minds, they were going. They drew their route across their map of Antarctica, packed their bags, and actually wore swimsuits under their snowsuits so that they could explore under the sea ice before heading out the door with ropes and snacks. All afternoon, they climbed over the trans-Antarctic mountains and battled blizzards to reach the South Pole. There was a cook, a medic, a leader, an adventure guy scientist who does whatever he wants. <laughs> Everyone had a job to do, and they kept encouraging each other. We can do hard things. You got this. Don't give up. The living books and experiences had made that place come alive for them. The spirit of discovery endurance, and boundless curiosity was in them. Antarctica had become a part of them that day. And as I tucked my middle child into bed that night, he said to me, Mom, when can we go to real Antarctica? I'm ready. I chose geography as my passion for the doors that it opens and encourage you to give it another look as you plan your school year next year or just want to mix things up with the unusual end to school this year. Books give you a place to go when you have to stay at home, and geography transports you across the globe. I'm going to close with a quote from Maria Montessori because it's just too beautiful not to. If the idea of the universe is presented to the child in the right way, it'll do more for him than just arouse his interest, for it'll create in him an admiration and wonder a feeling loftier than any interest more satisfying. The child's mind will then no longer wander, but become fixed and can work. The knowledge he then acquires is organized and systematic. His intelligence becomes whole and complete because of the vision of the whole which has been presented to him. And his interest spreads to all, for all are linked and have their place in the universe on which his mind is centered. Thank you for listening today. And please check out hatchingcuriosity.com for geography units, maps, and nature study tools. Until next time, stay curious. <laughs>